0: Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. I want to talk about how we surround ourselves with things that we enjoy. If you want to take the measure of a man or a woman, if you want to try to discern what's going on in their hearts, all you really have to do is make a sober assessment of what they have surrounded themselves with. Those things that we love are the things that we desire in our heart. The life we build around us reflects the values in our hearts. You'll always find unity between a person's inward desires and the life that he lives. Now, this is a good thing. If your inward value, if your inward passion is god centered If your heart's desire is a God-centered desire or passion, a desire to worship, then you will be surrounded by things that will reflect your heart. Now, this also can be an horrific thing. If our hearts are not in tuned or aligned with God, then we have surrounded ourselves with things that well, will be ungodly. And I will tell you how that would go. In fact, Ecclesiastes gives us a perfect picture of how that would go. In one word, it will be vanity. But as you approach the mid, uh, middle age years of your life, there's a term called a midlife crisis And if our hearts aren't centered on God, as we grow older, the crisis will escalate. And thus we have this term, midlife crisis. And that's why I've titled this podcast and the article on the website, Midlife Crisis, A Story of Redemption. I want to tell you about my my friend Biff. And his wife, Mabel, they had a midlife crisis of Biff's making, and God brought them from the brink of disaster to restoration. But I want to walk through how Biff got there. It took several decades for him to meander up to this point to where he fell off a cliff when he turned 50 years old. Uh, but the story does end well. Now, this podcast is a diagnostic. In fact, I would encourage you to read the article on the website. It's a little longer than uh, most of my articles are 2,000 words. This one's about 2,500 words. Uh, And so it's a little bit longer, but I have a lot of things that are packed in here. And I would love for you to use it as a homework assignment. Use this as a resource, this entire article on the website, Go to rickthomas.net, look for the article Midlife Crisis, A Story of Redemption. I got a half a dozen articles embedded here that will serve you. And so an individual could take a few months to really soak in and work through this article. It could be a lengthy and, and profound and hopefully transformative homework assignment for a person who is struggling. So let me get into it. Again, it's Midlife Crisis a story of redemption. Let's start it this way. Many of you have shared with me, uh, either privately or through social media, how you are. Uh, Bill and Mabel are getting somewhat of a following now. <laughs> people love their stories, and we've heard stories from, we've heard affirmations of this from all over the world. As people have written in and say, "I really love Biff and Mabel," and and uh, I like following their lives, and so. Uh, Here we have Biff. He's laying uh, on the hotel bed. He's wondering how it all went wrong. His brain was quickly replaying the highlights and decisions of his life quicker than he was changing channels on the remote. Mabel, his wife of 25 years, had just kicked him out of the house. She found out about the adultery that he committed with a work associate while on a business trip. Biff had known Marge for a couple of years. She worked at the corporate headquarters in Dallas. They frequently spoke by phone and had developed a friendship. Biff liked how playful Marge was, always joking and living life to the fullest, so it seemed. After a sales meeting, Biff found himself alone with Marge during happy hour. He couldn't. I started to say he couldn't resist, but the truth is he didn't want to resist Marge's charm and beauty, and he ended up being intimate with her. Bill's conscience bugged him, but he loved his sin more. He felt alive for the first time in years. He figured it was the perfect setup. Marge lived 1,000 miles away. She didn't want a serious relationship, and he thought he could hide it from Mabel. He started to have a whole new view of those boring quarterly sales conferences in Dallas. Though adultery wasn't as quick and easy as pornography, it was a lot more invigorating to Biff. Proverbs 6.27 says this, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? At home, Mabel was busy raising their three daughters and helping out at the church and dealing with changes in her life that come to all women nearing the half-century mark. Despite being surrounded by her girls, neighbors, and friends from the church, she felt alone and discouraged. Biff and she had grown apart. Her beauty was fading. She also saw her parents' health decline and felt like her body was resisting her too. She used to be a strong Christian, but her growth was distracted and partially limited due to the lack of spiritual leadership from her husband. Biff would attend their church meetings and profess Christ, but he seemed to keep the church folk at a distance. He wasn't the best husband, but he did provide for the kids, didn't drink excessively, and seemed to care about them. He came across as disinterested, however. As far as being a leader in the home, Mabel didn't realize how disinterested he was until she got a phone call from the hotel where where Biff stayed during the conference. The woman working the front desk informed her that the maid had found a pair of women's earrings on the nightstand in the hotel room. The employee assumed they were Mabel's. She must have been with Biff during his stay and left them in the room. Mabel was confused, trying to understand what she had just heard. Things clicked when the clerk asked if Mabel enjoyed her stay and if the room service met expectations. Through quivering lips, Mabel told the clerk that she wasn't with her husband and hung up the phone. When Biff arrived home from the airport later that night, Mabel was waiting at the front door. Through tears, she told Biff that he was not welcome in their home any longer. After a few words, Biff grabbed his suitcase, headed back to his car, and checked into a hotel room. After flipping through that, those channels, in fact, he flipped through a couple of dozen times the cable channels in his hotel room, he found himself watching a show about Native Americans carving totem poles He thought it strange how they would mount these carved images as a way to represent themselves and their tribes. What Biff didn't realize was that he had a totem pole of his own making. As far as totem poles, what are they? Well, totem poles, different cultures with specific social traits reflect those things in their creations, or totem poles. Let me give you an example of that. A bear on a totem pole would, would signify the strength that the tribe or the individual desired. So they would carve they would have these carvings of bears, also called totems, to reflect their affections. And so when you see a totem pole, whatever the image is on that totem pole would reflect the desire of the individual or the tribe or the culture. Eventually, the tribe would come to worship the animal or whatever it is that they have carved on their totem pole because, again, it best reflected them. And it's nothing more than a a symbolic representation of the tribe's values and traits and desires. And that's why when I began this podcast, I said we surround ourselves with things that we enjoy. The life that we build around us reflects the values of our hearts, and, and that was the purpose of a totem pole. Now, this is not unusual. You read about this. In a way, in Romans 1, let me share verses 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, you can read this passage in Romans 1, 21 through 25, and you can think about the pagan Indians who who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and carved images that represented the impurity of their hearts. Or you could read this passage thinking about Bilf, who did the exact same thing. Bilf was like these tribes. He had cravings in his heart, and Marge was the totem that fulfilled them. Marge brought what Biff was looking for. Marge was a representative of Biff's heart. She was his totem pole as he, as he sought pleasure, happiness, freedom. Now, if you want to understand Biff's modern-day version of a totem pole, you have to look into his past, at his shaping influences. The things he carved in his mind from his childhood, his teenage years, and early adult years. Let me share three of those things with you. The first one would be worship. Bilf was born in the 60s and hit puberty, puberty during the 70s. He was fascinated with the Apollo moonshots in the 60s. That was a thing he and his two brothers pretended to be astronauts they converted their little tent into an apollo space capsule and they would drink tang for those of you who are under 40 or 50 years old you might not know what tang is but it it was the it was the drink of the astronauts and so bill biff began to develop this this worship mindset as he Uh, fashioned himself to be like the Apollo men, and then love. During the 70s, he became exposed to Playboy magazine while searching for empty beer cans in a nearby apartment dumpster. He liked what he saw and craved female attention. He didn't understand fully why Hugh Hefner... Always wore pajamas, but he was jealous of the attention that he got from the ladies. And so he had a twisted version of worship as he, as he craved to be an astronaut. He had a twisted version of love as he, as, he, as he lusted after women. And then materialism. And then he started and graduated college in the 80s. And began to see the amount of money that people made on wall street and the lavish parties they attended the power cars that they drove and so he had twisted worship twisted love and twisted materialism Notice what James says about this in one fourteen and 15. James says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, when it finds a, a place out in the culture that it can latch itself onto, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And, and that's what Biff is doing in that hotel room right now. He's dying. Biff didn't realize it. But he was building his totem pole that reflected his worship, the astronauts, his lust, the women, and the materialism, the power cars of his heart. These hidden and insidious desires were shaping him, which is what I call shaping influences from his past. What he craved was not represented in animals like what I read in Romans, or in like the Native Americans, but in things he wanted from his culture. He wanted people worshiping him like they did the astronauts. He wanted sexual pleasure from women and the power that materialism provides. He has a very clear totem. Biff picked out things that he thought were good and desirable desirable for him. He chose things that he felt would spur him on to success, a life where he would be comfortable. His totem pole, I'll put that in quotation marks, reflected his heart and became the identity that he has always craved, even from a backward, shy youth. Like an astronaut, he wanted to live life on the edge, to be a risk taker, and to turn heads as he drove down the street in his sports car. Like Hugh Hefner, he wanted to be a playboy. He wanted to be be cool. To be the guy the girls wanted, like the Wall Street moguls, he wanted people to respect him and to listen to him. So Biff got his degree, he married the pretty blonde, and started to climb the corporate ladder. He accepted Christ while in college, but never developed his theology beyond punching his ticket to heaven. He did not faithfully serve the Lord, though never stated he was hoping the Lord was another way to give him what he craved. He poured his heart and his soul into his work. Kids came along, and he enjoyed being a dad when his girls were young, but as they approached their teen years, he began to feel as though his dream was slipping away. Bill felt like a loser. Last year, after he turned 50, he started thinking about all these things. Instead of being thankful for all God's blessings, he only saw that his life did not look like his dream totem pole of worship, love, and materialism. He was a middle-class man driving a minivan, balding, overweight, and his wife was not the woman of his youth. Biff believed he was missing out on life. He had worked too hard to settle for what he had. He decided to double down and reapply himself. Despite his wife's counsel, he bought the sports car that he always wanted. He also bought the latest exercise fad and lost 20 pounds. He revamped his wardrobe, started wearing a gold necklace. No offense to all of you who like gold necklaces and are 50-year-old men. And he was feeling like a new man. When Marge found him physically attractive, it affirmed he did miss his dream, but now he could recapture it with her. Mercifully, God interrupted Biff's plans for self-destruction. Mabel discovered his sin, and the things he had never dealt with from his past were now front and center in his life and marriage. Numbers thirty two twenty three. It's easy to remember because the the, the numbers are backwards. 3223. Three. Numbers thirty two twenty three says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. He fell asleep all alone in his hotel room. His worst fears were crowding in as he thought about not being smart enough or handsome enough to live the life that he wanted. To compound his self-made disaster, he realized that he couldn't even make it as an average Joe. His most profound and darkest fears were real. Biff was a failure. After a couple of days apart, Mabel agreed to let Biff come home if he would go to counseling. They met with their pastor immediately, and over the next several months, they walked the long road to redemption. It was hard for both of them. In time, God broke through the hardness of Biff's heart and let him see himself through the lens of Scripture. God's word affirmed the thing that Biff feared the most. Biff was a failure. He was an awful person, which was not good news at the beginning, not to a person whose totem pole revealed his hedonism. You see, in Romans three, ten, eleven, and 12, Paul wrote these words, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's probably not a passage of Scripture or another passage of Scripture that cuts against the grain of proud hearts like this passage here. The very thing that we all disdain, the very thing that we do not want to consider, the very reason that we build these kingdoms of our own making is because we don't like what Paul said in Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12. Nobody is righteous, not one. Nobody seeks after God. Everybody has turned aside. Everybody has become worthless. No one does good, not even One, and rather than accepting the bad news, the awful news, the worst news that you will ever hear, we run from it and build a world of our own choosing, one of our own making, one that mirrors the lust of our hearts. The pastor talked to Biff about his fallenness and how Biff's sin had separated him from God, leaving him exposed, fearful, and full of shame. Rather than running to God, Biff turned inward and sought to redeem himself through self-reliant efforts as he chased the image that he craved for himself. This is not a new story. You read a similar idea in Exodus 32, 3 and 4. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf, a totem, you could say, that reflected the lust of their hearts, the things that they craved in their hearts. You see, Biff had missed the point of the gospel. The bad news is supposed to motivate you to desire the good news. There would be no need for the good news if there were no bad news. There would be no need for Jesus coming and living and dying and rising from the grave if there was no bad news. But we don't want to hear the bad news, and Biff really missed this key, vital aspect of the gospel and so as he thought about the emptiness of his own life or the vanities, as the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, Biff ran the wrong way. He began to see how his totem pole was his foolish attempt to make himself feel better about life. Our culture uses self-esteem and self-actualization and all kinds of ways that turn us inward to motivate us to uh, ignite the power within, but all these attempts are futile. Biff was worshipping created things, things that he chose as valuable. Biff was worshipping himself, or it might be better to say that he was worshipping the idealized view of himself, just like pagan Indians of old. Biff was what he wanted in the natural world and talked himself into becoming that image He saw what he wanted in the natural world, rather, and he talked himself into becoming that image. The image was the person he always wanted to be, than the Christ he professed to believe. The pastor told him about a better, more accurate pole. He began to show him the redemptive purposes of another tree, the cross. The pastor showed him a Savior, Jesus Christ, The more Biff came to terms with the gospel, the more his walk as a Christian began to look different. It's interesting that you read in John 3, 14 and 15, talking about this other pole, Adam's tree. It says, "...and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness..." so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Biff began to understand his foolishness as he marveled at how God wanted to embrace him. It reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke 15. It says that he arose, the prodigal arose, and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and Embraced him and kissed him. Biff began to understand how foolish he was. And he began to marvel at how God wanted to embrace him. Biff learned that humans lost God's covering in the garden in Genesis 3, 7. And they began to cover themselves with self-made efforts, loincloths, uh, fig leaves rather, at that point. But Bill began to learn that the Lord replaced it with the cover of Christ's righteousness. And now we have a new covering in Christ. Bill started to see Christ not just as a Savior, but also as his Lord. Not as someone lording over him, but as a big brother who had already defeated the enemy. Biff started to see Christ as his treasure. Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians 4-7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Armed with this new gospel awareness, God began to change Biff's heart. He started to reconcile with Mabel. Despite the hurt he had caused her, she could see God at work in her life too. By God's grace, she forgave Biff. And that's one of the hardest things that you will ever do, especially when adultery is is in the mix. And it was hard for Mabel at first. It's not something that she could just shake off and and get up, rise from the ashes, and move on that she had work that she needed to do herself. In fact, I have an article embedded here talking about forgiveness, specifically pre-forgiveness, getting your heart ready to forgive someone. Forgiveness is a transactional action that happens. It's two people reciprocating, the offender and the offended. And there's a requirement on both, and it takes a lot of work. It's not just Biff asking for forgiveness authentically, genuinely, but it is also Mabel, the victim of this heinous sin, preparing her heart. Similar to Joseph when uh, he got his heart ready to forgive his brothers for what they did to him. There was work on his part, and uh, you need to be patient with the victims of sins especially the victims of adultery, when the offender is trying to reconcile. It is hard, but she did. But the more Biff pursued God, the more she realized God was giving her something better than what she had before. And that is the, the amazing thing, that whatever we destroy with our sin, God is able to restore and redeem and make it better than it was before. But Biff did not stop there. He started leading his family. He began engaging his children. He taught them how to see things through the eyes of the Lord, rather than personal self-interest. Though he stumbled in his walk with God, he was a more authentic reflection of the Savior than ever before. And that's important to learn or to understand as well. A person who gets right with God will not be perfect after he gets right with God. And so you are looking for the pattern in his life, not the episodes of failure. And Biff's pattern was a trajectory that did reflect Christ. And rather than craving the things of the world and bending his life to reflect those lustful things, he wanted Christ and began transforming his life to image him. John talked about this in 1 John 2. He said, "'Do not love the world.'" Or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see that mirror image there? If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. What is in your heart is reflected in the world. You could say, John is saying here. He goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Though their marriage was far from perfect, for the first time in many years it was real, and it reflected more authentically Christ and His church. Biff cut down his self made totem pole meaning he repented. He genuinely, authentically repented. He knew now it was just an expression of his hidden desires for self-exaltation. For his 52nd birthday, Mabel and his girls surprised him with a gift. They had taken his playboy necklace and exchanged it for a ring, but not just any ring. On the face of this ring, there was a cross. It was a metaphoric picture from ruin to redemption. Biff's eyes swelled with a mixture of happiness and sadness when he received his gift. He was sad for all the hurt he had caused and all those wasted years chasing his false gods, but he was thankful his Lord was a God of restoration. He knew his ring would always be there as a reminder for him to remember. The only thing worth worshiping was a living Savior The title of this podcast is Midlife Crisis, A Story of Redemption. I would love for you to use this as a homework assignment. As I said, there are more than a half a dozen articles that are embedded here. I have a short video also here. If you need help, if you're going through any kind of difficulty, anything that aligns with Uh, this podcast here or maybe something else i want you to come to our forums and i want you to talk to us this is something that we provide to people is provided to you by those who support this ministry and believe in what we're doing and the help that uh, people are receiving as the lord is working through us and i would appeal to you to come to our forums and to ask your questions if you want something longer, lengthier to do, I would encourage you to get my book Change Me, the ultimate life change handbook. It's over 300 pages and uh, as many people have told me personally, I've read this book more than once, up to 5 times. <laughs> One individual told me, "It is a book on how to change and if you find yourself stuck, I would encourage you to get that book." I would encourage you to talk to us. I would encourage you to read this article and let us serve you. It's what we do here all day long, and if we can, we're here for you. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of RickThomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to RickThomas.net, RickThomas.net.